You are listening to Gabriel and Lee at the Crossroads. I had no idea. U.S. and South Vietnamese Army had no idea about where all these troops were. They thought they were still out in the hills when these guys were like already in Saigon smuggling in weapons daily and all coordinated on one day they just broke out attacks all throughout Vietnam with all these soldiers that they smuggled through tunnels like El Chapo had nothing on these guys man what the hell man is that that what the South Vietnamese said Maury what the hell you doing (laughs) (laughs) I love it though that's What's my friend's dad. That's your friend's dad? My friend's dad. Yeah, he, he always tells us he was like 12, and his dad took him to eat dim sum. And uh, I guess it's like a breakfast thing over there, and it's dumplings. So these ladies are walking around with Ooh, cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they got like little trays, like little steamer trays piled up. And inside, each one is like four or five dumplings. So good. And he said that when the lady showed up with the cart, he took like three boxes of dumplings he's like boom and then the lady like mark them off mark you off if you eat them or not you're paying for them <laughs> he didn't know that rookie <laughs> mistake he said he grabbed three trays yeah. and that his dad freaks out what the hell are you doing <laughs> I'm hungry dad no 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 put that back <laughs> what the hell wrong with you <laughs> are you gonna pay for that have you, have, I, I've I've had dumplings for the first time, like, sometime last year, like November. So good. We went to like one of those places where they push them on the cart, somewhere in LA, and we got there around like three thirty, I want to say, or like somewhere like mid afternoon, and they're like pushing the food out, pushing the food out. Because it was almost time for them to stop. Yeah, we didn't know. It was so funny. Like, we walk in. We're all confident. We had just gone on a hike. We're hungry. We're ready to go. Like, this is awesome. The food's on the table. And they're like pushing the cart, and then my uh, who I was with, they're like, "Oh, like we're ordering a little bit, ordering, we're ordering a little bit." And then, like before you know it, like they're all right there eating next to us, and we're like trying to order more food because we're still hungry, <laughs> and they're all just having a good time, like eating their dumplings and just going going at it. And we're like, "You no know more what? Dumpling for you." Yeah, and they we were gonna order, and they're like, "Oh yeah, in thirty minutes we'll bring it, we'll bring it out." And we're like, "What?" So then we pay, we leave. And then we go to eat somewhere else. Like, we literally went to, like, two restaurants, but <laughs> we had, like, we were like, What's, what the heck is that all about? Yeah, usually they'll stop anywhere between two and three. That, it was around that time, yeah. It was so funny. It was, it was hilarious. That's never yeah, happened. For them, it's like, there's some dim sum places that are so crazy that you, when you see the cart, the lady with the carts, you got to run to them because... All these people will see them and just mob them. <laughs> like, start grabbing stuff? Start grabbing stuff. If you sit and wait for them to get to your table, you ain't never going to get enough food. You're never eating? Never eating. Crazy. Crazy people. And at some places, it's like minimum like an hour, hour and a half wait in the mornings to get in. What? Yeah, over in Westminster, Garden Grove, <laughs> where they congregate. Where the, that's, that's the epicenter right there. Where the Nams congregate? 
Everybody that's bitten to me. I've ne- honestly, I wish I would eat like the food that's in Vietnam. <laughs> little, little Saigon. <laughs> little Saigon. Like I feel like I haven't explored it enough. You know what's funny is that you think I'm gonna go to Vietnam and I'm gonna get everything so authentic and it's gonna be even better than over here. But the Vietnamese food actually tastes better over here in the U.S. Because of the quality of the ingredients that are available. They're (laughs) non-common ingredients? (laughs) The the quality of the ingredients that are available over here are so much better than what's available over there. That You know, it's like... But, like, you know, you could tell, like, if you take this lady that's been doing this dish for 70 years and you gave her ingredients that were availability to ingredients that were that good as the ones we have in US she'd be knocking you know knocking it out getting Michelin stars and stuff which is essentially what's happening in Singapore it's like these people got a big street food culture and uh, they call them hawker stalls like you literally go into one building and there's 300 restaurants in that one building because they're just little stalls and in this little stall this guy's putting out the same thing that's all he does. One thing on his menu. Boom. Years. Is that where you guys are going next? Years one? and years. I would want to go to Singapore. It's a very small country. It's a very expensive country. Uh, Isn't much to do there. Like, you can knock out all the sites that that country has to offer in one day. I think that's where Monica wants to go. Is but, like, food, you won't. It's the highest concentration of Michelin star rated. Whoa. Street food in the whole world, because it's just so focused. Because yeah, they're focused on that one thing. There's there's a guy there's a there's a, a store that sells um, ramen, but it's they call it Singapore style ramen because it doesn't have broth. Oh, but one guy does noodles. That's all he does. One guy does the soy sauce egg, and that's all he does. One guy does the shrimp that are wrapped in like shoestring potatoes and that's all he does and they all do their one thing and they all bring them together into one bowl <gasps> so you get your noodle your pork cutlet your shrimp and your egg and that's your bowl and they're like brand new and you gotta get there you gotta get there by like 9 o'clock cause like at 10 o'clock you'll have an hour and a half line and by 2 o'clock they sell out that's genius though right you just specialize and you bring it all together. Just That's one beautiful. Thing. Like one guy, all he has to worry about is cooking eggs. And if the main dude doesn't like the egg, sends it back. What? You have to, you oh, have they to, have a main guy that's like coordinated all? Yeah, like you have to. That's smart. If you don't put the highest quality of your part of this dish, you're doing your part until it's perfect doesn't to count. be with the rest of the dish. Dang. Yeah. These guys are like, I'm hungry. Hyper focused on like, <laughs> somebody the craft. needs to go to, to, to Westminster. Yeah, I'm tonight. going to Westminster after this. <laughs> the closest thing that I saw to those types of dishes that they have here, it's gonna be you're gonna laugh. It's a ramen place in Santa Ana. Oh, <laughs> in Santa Ana. <laughs> and the, the place is called Ramenos. Ramenos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, down 17th Street. A guy named Baco runs it. <laughs> He's on parole. He's just trying to do something different with his He life. had Vietnamese friends in high school. <laughs> it's the first place ever where front of house is Latinos and the back of the house is actually Asians. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Uh, Lord knows what all the 
good Asian places in Westminster's uh, got Latinos in the kitchen. Let's say I wouldn't be surprised. Right, the best Asian foods in Westminster Garden Grove. You go in the back, and what do you hear? Hey, I I mean, it sounds sounds racist, but like I I told Jacob where we work, all the landscaping, maintenance, plumbing, carpentry, it's mostly Hispanic. A lot of them are, you know, older. But it's just funny, like they all go home around three, three, three or three thirty. Like there's different waves of people that go home. But if you go outside into the parking lot, you see a wave of like people. <laughs> all you hear is that, and they like, just constant. <laughs> and like they never just hunk normal. They're always cussing at you with their hogs. Every. <laughs> Every, What'd you say to me? Like ninety percent of the vehicles that are coming out are Chevy Silverados, <laughs> with the occasional Camaro because of the guy that works there is young. <laughs> so I ran across this video. You guys know Felipe Esparza? Yeah. And he's talking about how Mexicans are racist too. I don't want to be party. <laughs> Sweet Caroline. <laughs> That's how you find white people everywhere. <laughs> that is a battle cry. <laughs> classroom I had I know at least five people that sounded like that yeah yeah school, school growing up. <laughs> he's freaking hilarious hilarious sweet Caroline I was like yeah that is official white people, people. <laughs> oh. 
that's good, good stuff. That's, that's good. I was going to say that's good stuff. Let's do it. All right, we're already 12 minutes in. Good, sir. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what are you talking about? What you? Why you talk to me what? like that, dude? What the hell, man? What the hell you doing? I just figured we're in the moment right now, you know? I, I like the moment. I don't want to ruin it. At the crossroads with Sneaky Gabriel and Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Who hits record when no one knows. You uh, never know what you're going to find on this podcast. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we're already in. Okay. How's it going, Jacob? It's going all right. Yeah? Here we are. Take two. Take two. I lost the audio. I uh, apologize. But I think it's for I think it was for a good reason. Okay. Because we got to listen to Felipe Esparza. And I think that <laughs> rectified the whole thing. That rectified the whole thing? <laughs> I was... I was the, the, okay, so what happened was I, I didn't eat lunch that day. I was a little, you know, fatigued, a little cranky, and I get home. I'm like, I just want to finish it. I just want to get it. I want to get uploaded, you know, because you gotta do your little tweaks and stuff. And so I was trying to get it out. I was adding in the new intro outro that you recorded, but the file was the same name as like your audio. It was like uh, audio zero zero one, and the file I put in was audio zero zero one. So we overrid the file that was in the recording. So it, it Not deleted enough. it. It deleted it, and I couldn't too get it back. Technical. Yeah, it's too technical. I don't get into the weeds, but you know, just, just so you guys know what, what pain and struggle I had to deal with. He's no. not talking about me this time. He's talking about the audio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's for a later, later episode. Pain and struggle. Jeez. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's what happened. That's awesome. Struggle is real sometimes. I'm glad. But, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be back. It's been a rough. Uh, Couple weeks. Yeah, you know, you're back. Dealing with my oh, back issues. And you're back and you're back. I'm back and and my back. Yes. <laughs> that was yes. a bad joke. That, that joke. That was a pretty good. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I give that about a seven point five. Nice. Classic. <laughs> Sticks the landing. Classic. Yeah, totally stuck the landing. Oh uh, yeah, I've just been you know struggling. I've had some back issues for a while and some herniated discs and all that good stuff that comes along with that territory and uh, so I just been having some pretty pretty good pain making me making me pretty useless a lot of the time but uh, I'm glad to be able to be here back with you guys again today I appreciate you being here it's uh, not easy I don't know what it's like but I'm sure it's not it's not easy the back is, a, is literally your 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 support system, right? I mean, that's got to be pretty much. That's got to be strong. Yeah, my, my main issues are are down in the lumbar section of my spine, the L four and the L five. Those are the main, the main issues. And that's part, you know, the part of your spine that bears <laughs> most of the load of, you know, whatever you do or your daily movement and stability and all that stuff. So, I've been pretty unstable. <laughs> To say the least. To say the least. But, you know, I'm just thankful, you know, just for a good group of friends that support me and for our group, Reconnect Ministries and Lily Sales, really supportive of me having to, you know, take a, a minimal role and, yeah, you know, not, not being able to be here at our gatherings, you know, as much as, as I want to. And so all that, all that is... You know, plays it, it 
pain does love something tricky to you and you know anybody that's been in in prolonged pain or have had chronic pain you know it's like it it pretty much like changes your personality you know it's pretty pretty crazy just to see my personality shifts and you know when I'm in like pretty severe continuous pain or where I'm not or you know just some of the uh some of the medical advances that yeah they have nowadays you know work to treat your symptom temporarily but cause all these bunch of side issues and not fun not fun but uh yeah I'm I'm looking up to the future hopefully have uh, some surgery pretty soon that's kind of what the last few weeks my last few weeks have been most of most of the month of January have been you know kind of in that struggle and just you know learning how to learning how to do the things you always do with the pain that you have I mean that's one of it's kind of been like my thing ever since I've been going through all this which was 2012 yeah just kind of learning to do what you want to do you know even though you're gonna be in some pain but yeah <laughs> yeah what's been your like your biggest shift in perspective I mean something like that like you said like you kind of have to be mindful of things that you know, you were used to do before normally now. Has there been anything that has shifted like in perspective? Yeah, you know, it's like definitely makes you, well, it's made me more grateful for just like smaller things, you know. Um, it's really weird. When I first started this, it, it all it all came up as a, as a bout of like temporary paralysis. Like I, I stayed home one day with like pretty bad back pain and uh, had both of my legs go out and I was in my living room and I was there for about five hours without able to move and you know my, my mom she's older and she lives she lives with me and, and I, I remember thinking I didn't want her to walk out of the room and find me on the ground and freak her out so I managed to uh, you know belly crawl from my living room to my bedroom and just kind of hung out there for a little while and some pretty severe pain and then I was managing to crawl up on the bed and oh, as I was like getting myself up and just kind of pushing through I was it was pretty severe pain like I ended up in the ER later and I was admitted and all this bunch of other stuff that I went through but uh, you know it's like while I was crawling up onto bed um, an earthquake happened what an earthquake happened and I fell down and I just remember thinking like good one <laughs> like <laughs> looking up to the sky and like telling God like good one like I couldn't have thought of this <laughs> um, but yeah my, my mom and it kind of came in to take stock of our place and found me there and, you know started praying for me and with me and I just kind of hung out until the evening and then ended up saying, all right, I think I've had enough. <laughs> it's time for you to call call the ambulance. It's like that moment, you know, I thought to myself, I can get up and walk to the car and have Lupa take me 
to the hospital, but then realizing I can't get up. <laughs> it hurts too bad to stand straight. Uh, so yeah, ambulance came out, and you know my my mom and her just like Uber, you know, belief and and just the power of God. And it's it's funny, but it's also like really inspiring. Where you know she was. She was saying, don't call 911, call the pastor. Because <laughs> she wanted the pastor to come and pray. Yeah. I, mean, I said, the pastor's not going to be able to get me to the car. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, that's kind of how that whole journey started. And just going through days of like endless, endless pain. And I was medicating pretty heavily for, for a long time. And just going through these stages of like being medicated and you know not not having all my wits and just always being cloudy and kind of just having like a zombie like existence where I was just kind of going through through the motions of the day um, and having like these times where you know I could take a certain amount of medication in a 24 hour period and then at a certain time, I had to stop. <clears throat> so I would have moments of clarity um, where I could, you know, formulate good, correct, grammatically correct and complete sentences. And and that was right around the 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. portion of the day. So I would... I would wake up at 2 a.m. because the medicine had worn off and I was not, I was now in pain and I was going to need to be in pain until 6 a.m. where I could redose. Jeez. Um, But I would, I would read. (laughs) I remember I read all of Bob Goff's book during, during that time where I would listen to music and just have like personal devotionals. And so it's like, it, it, it really makes you, you know, you were mentioning, Lee, you know, have any change of, of uh, like a shift in my perspective. It makes you, it makes you very thankful for really small things like just having a clear mind or, you know, being able to do things more independently for yourself. You know, I, for a long, for a long time, I haven't really had that just because a lot of things I do, I have to shift the way I do my normal activities so that I can do them without, you know, causing myself more pain. And that's just kind of how I've I've lived is like eight the last eight years. It's been a little tough. Dang. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's uh, you you go through a time you know, I, I have good people that speak truth to my life and and my doctor is one of them and I, I mentioned it in one of our gatherings the other day that I, I see him periodically you know every every few months um, I get epidural injections so that I could you know keep having mobility and and reduced pain and and you know they they were pretty good and, but you know throughout the last few years, their effectiveness gets less and less, and, and every time I go and 
see that doctor, he always starts off our our consult by asking me to describe my pain to him. And so he says, well, describe your pain. And so I just go through, you know, telling him any new pains or any increased pains or, you know, if I've noticed that any emotions cause me more pain. I just go through all that and then when I finish, you know, saying all that to him, he always comes back with, but did you die? <laughs> and, you know, and, you know, it's, it's funny because, like, you know, that that's his way of, in a very strange way, telling me, you're in pain, but you got to keep living your life. You know, you've got to yeah. keep doing the things that you need to do. You got to keep doing the things that you want to do. Um, and, yeah, you know, I've you know, taken that mentality and, done things that I never thought I would be able to do and did them in pain. Yeah, because you guys go hiking a lot, and right? In severe pain. You know, we haven't been hiking a lot lately. Uh. It's because, you know, I've kind of been progressively getting worse. But yeah, you know, we we did a, a, a five-day backpacking thing in Yosemite where we went out with all of our gear on our back and it, it was, you know, it was pretty pretty nuts but you know you know it's like I'm glad for the new technology that they have with like gear that lets you do that without really beating yourself up too bad or without you know weight distribution is a big thing in, in like backpacking gear right now where you just get to you get to do you get to take more things with you to have a better experience. And, you know, I was able to do some of those things, and you know, I'm really, really thankful for some of the things I've been able to do. But you know, it's all it's all been under the umbrella of yes, I'm in pain, but do I still want to do this, yeah. or do I want to? You know, it, it it's a very real option to just sit there and medicate and just veg out you know and, and you know it's a, it's an option that you take sometimes when you're not doing too good but you know at the same time you know I'm thankful for my doc who's like you're not gonna die <laughs> if you go out and take a hike you're gonna be in some pain and you should probably be very careful about how you're hiking or where you're hiking and do everything you can to minimize the risk or minimize, you know, any negative effects on your body. But if you want to hike, you should hike. <laughs> you know, if you want to travel, you should travel. If you want to camp, you should camp. You know, whatever it is that that brings joy to or happiness to your life. He says, do that. <laughs> because he said, it'll hurt, but you won't die. That's just kind of another perspective change so on on that note because we we obviously know that you do you and Lupe do enjoy your travels your hiking camping um I know I'm kind of making a left turn here but <laughs> as far as like make sure you put your blinker on I know unless you're a beamer um no but as far as like your appreciation for nature like has that has that affected you with, with your, with your health? Like I know you mentioned that like you you're 
more grateful for things that, yeah. you know, perhaps in the past might have taken for granted. But as far as like your appreciation for nature, I, I know like I have to credit you for a lot of my appreciation for nature and just overall enjoyment of being outdoors and seeing God's creation. Like, is that, mm-hmm. is that something that you've been able to make a connection with? Like, your condition and like you said you're still going to push through it yeah yeah it's like um back in 2013 for me it all starts it all goes back to 2013 um the state of oregon has a really really special place in 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 my heart in in lupe's heart you know um it was right after it was a little over a year after I, i had started with my back issues and I was in a really, really bad, bad place, really bad way, and a friend of mine uh, invited me and Lupe out on a road trip, and, you know, he said, hey, I'm going to Oregon, do you guys want to come along? And so, you know, I thought, yeah, why not, you know, started planning for it, and, you know, um, he did all the, like, logistics of it, and, and, you know, once we got to Northern California, you get out of the city, you get out into the country. And so that was a really, really pleasant time. I think we, our road trip was like 10 days and we drove up um, all through California. We, we stopped in San Francisco, drove all the way to Northern California, uh, then drove into Oregon and we just kind of did a an east-west zigzag as we made our way north so the five freeway it runs right up near the coast but it's about 50 miles west of the five freeway is the coast and 50 miles east of the five freeway is the forest so we were just zagging up back and forth throughout the entire state um, just seeing different things and you know got to see some of the biggest falls in the state of Oregon and drive through some of the most beautiful country ever and, and it's funny because I I know that I was in pain because I was medicating the entire time that we were having this trip but when I think about that that road trip I don't remember the pain I I remember just being in awe of nature and just how beautiful it was and just, you know, constantly reminding myself, there's no way I can get this in the city. And just sitting, you know, I remember we we pulled over on the side of a highway because the entire highway runs next to a river. So, you know, every now and then the the river will crisscross onto the highway, but... It's like that, you know, that line that it takes, that, that the highway takes, it's always close to that river. And, you know, you end up in Crater Lake in Oregon. For those of you that know Oregon, it's a very beautiful national park. Um, and just, you know, having a, a appreciation, I think in those 10 days, I drove like 5,000 miles just throughout zigzagging through that state we drove up to Washington we drove to the coast we drove to Mount St. Helens um, just 
and just remember like thinking I've never seen beauty like this before I've always been a city kid you know yeah. I never went camping growing up and uh, you know lived in Mexico for, for a while when I was younger it, it was pretty rural but you know always close to cities and so this was like for me it was other than like going to like youth retreats with church which were like week long this was like the most time that I had spent out in nature you know granted we were totally doing the tourist thing and you know spending the night in hotels and motels along the way we weren't camping or anything that serious but we visited a lot of nature places a lot of campgrounds a lot of waterfalls a lot of just things that don't yet have a human footprint on them you know um, so for me, that was very special, and that just kind of opened my opened my uh, my eyes to wanting to be near nature. And you know, by that time, I'd I'd always I'd already been into like car camping, you know, taking your stuff out of your car, going to a pretty developed campsite, and doing that. But I never done anything else like like backpacking or any other type of rougher camping um i'm just thinking like that's i like camping but there's something about oh, a nice warm shower and a nice warm bed the <laughs> comforts i don't know there's something there's something about jumping into an almost freezing lake <laughs> that's all <laughs> that's equally as invigorating yeah <laughs> Is that where you find your nucleus? That's where I find my <laughs> nucleus. Yeah, you look, you look behind the man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. So ever since that, ever since that road trip that I had in 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 September of 2013, I've just kind of been really into nature and knowing about nature and knowing about the history of, you know, U.S. is one of the first places where the concept of national parks started, and just you know knowing about like-minded people that believed in God but were able to connect with him better when they were in nature and just reading their writings. John Muir is one of them. You know, it's like some of the things he writes about God and nature and, you know, he writes about the first time he walked into the Yosemite Valley and, you know, sure he sees El Capitan on his left and glacier point on his right and half dome in the background and and just his thought on it i was reading one of his books his thought what his thoughts were that this was the most beautiful cathedral he'd ever been been to uh, there's no cathedral that's made by men that this is beautiful can can yeah. equal the beauty that he was seeing in this one place yosemite valley and, and I remember the first time I went to Yosemite Valley, I walked in and I was like, yep, he's totally right. This <laughs> is like, you know, you can't get something like this anywhere else in the world or at any structure, at any man-made structure you go to. You can't get something as beautiful as this. And, you know, from there, you know, just fell in love with nature and, and you know, try to enjoy it as much as possible. Because, yeah, you know, it, it definitely helps you reset definitely helps you you know change your perspective on on things and 
you know, I, I know sitting in the woods isn't going to fix, you know, my herniated discs, but, you know, it's time time that I'm out there. Um, when I was out, when we were out in, in Yosemite, me and Lupe, I think we, it was like three days where we didn't see another soul, another human being, you know, and we were just out there, you know. Just living. Living, having our, our tent was next to the lake and. You know, we would wake up and hike around the lake and just see different beautiful things every day. I, th- I would say the closest thing that I experienced to that <clears throat> was, um, and this is probably a bad example, but like I think Europe, like I, I know we're t- like the architecture isn't the same as nature, but I think there's a lot of beauty in the architecture, like in European architecture and the buildings and things like that. Where I think here in the U.S. it's kind of gotten like, kind of bland, and we've ruined the beauty of, like more of the the nature that we do have around us. Like here in Orange County, right? We had the orange groves, and it's like there's nothing left over that shows any of that, you know, and the packing houses and all that. But it's like we, like in Santa Cruz, when I went to Santa Cruz, UC Santa Cruz, the campus was was embedded in the forest, you know, like they they wanted to preserve as much of the forest as possible and like that was awesome you walk out of class and it's like a big old I forget what the trees were but beautiful trees and it's like that constant um, beauty and energy like that and that energy that you got from the greenery you know it's like you can never I feel like in terms of like man made stuff I think European architecture is pretty nice and I'm sure like other architecture is nice but like I think I think the U.S. we kind of ruined it a little way in, in some ways. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It can definitely very be very like sharp lines, metal, yeah, yeah. glass. And Styles are they're overdone. At least like the postmodern architecture you yeah. see, and it's, it's supposed to be very impressive, but or. Like you think about like the stained glasses in the churches and like the the mat like the the Michelangelo how do you say it Michelangelo painting like that's nice you know I think that's pretty nice but I think the one thing that I'm, that freaks me out about nature is like the bugs and the spiders the bugs yeah like ticks <laughs> ticks freak me out mm-hmm. like the the spiders that are out there the snakes I don't know it just ugh, gives me the heebie-jeebies the creepy things how do you say it. The creeping things? The creepy crawlers? The creeping yeah, you definitely have to do a lot of maintenance to be able to enjoy time in nature. You know, you have to really pay attention to your body and take care of your feet, take care of your skin, take care, you know, it's like... Constant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think even in that sense, Gabe, I think there is a beauty to that too because you realize how vulnerable you are and... How, if you're like Jacob was saying, you're up in the valley at night, and you're able to see all the stars, uh, you know, because you've been like Jacob, you're looking at these structures throughout the day, and then at night you're able to see the stars, and then if you're lucky, you see the moonlight, you know, hit the side of the the rocks, and mm-hmm. there's trees growing out of the the out of the side of the cliffs, and you can see the shadows of the trees on there. And you're just your mind's trying to make sense of it but it's just a reminder of of how big at least for me it was a reminder how big god is and how big 
um, how big his glory is and, and just in creation, just in creation itself. I remember I had a moment with, uh, I was right, right by the Merced River hearing it, um, hearing it move and a breeze came by and that was just like a, such a peaceful moment. I don't think I've ever experienced something like that before as far as like observing nature or what have you, but I remember I had that moment where I just had to like, it kind of reminded me of that verse, be still and know that I am God. And like that was like. That moment that cap- encapsulated. <laughs> yeah. It. It was it was cool. It was amazing, and it's even more humbling to think that all these things he made, he made them for humanity, you know, right? For us to enjoy, for us to yeah, to enjoy dominion over yeah. And that's why it's like that's one of the, that's one of the things that I'm really looking forward to. Like post surgery is it's going to be to be able to have the ability to get out to nature more. Yeah, we when we went to Mexico, um, Monica's family. They have, uh, it's called like the Cerro. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that really means in English, to be honest. Like hill. The a hills. hill. And they have like, they own like half of it. So like when we go, the grandmother like lives kind of close to like the town. So you kind of drive out to that area. It's like 15, 20 minutes away. And it's all like bumpy dirt road, you know, no pavement out there, obviously, right? They're out in rural and you go and it's like just just a bunch of trees and you're just like walking around and you like climb down and you're just like in this cave and you're you're like at any moment like if you make a wrong move like you're you're gone like you're gonna slip and fall and it's like bam it's like a long ways down but yeah it was it was very intense and they have like cows out there that are like grazing I got this like cool video of me like sitting and they have like a river that goes next to their house where um monica's dad grew up so you go and like you can just like hang out in the in the river and stuff and monica's two young our older brothers they, there's a picture of them like both taking a bath like as kids like naked there's like a picture of them that, <laughs> so we're trying to get them to you know reinvent that picture as a grown adults Re- naked recreate. in the river recreate it but they didn't want to do it i don't know why <laughs> no, I remember. I remember you after you came back. You, you had some pretty good shots. I yeah, remember the skies were purple and orange. Yes, that one was my favorite, and it like rains there a lot because the higher elevation, so it rains a little bit more, and it's like the the sun. It's just amazing. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool stuff. Actually, I guess I do like nature then. Just Mexican nature. Just Mexican nature. Yeah, I don't like American nature. Uh-uh, I don't like that American made stuff. Give me some of that Mexican made. No, but there, is yeah, it because I'm Mexican? <laughs> Probably. But I'm American too. No, but there there is. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's definitely something to it, like Jacob's saying, like being. Within nature, it, it definitely brings something out of you, or at least it, it makes you realize, you know, almost like for me anyway, almost like that's how we were meant to live. Like, like right now we're studying the book of Genesis and and just how much dominion Adam and Eve had, you know, over the earth and creation, and like that there was no separating their daily life from nature. There wasn't, you know anything like that and and you know it didn't take that many generations i think yeah right we we just read about cain was the builder of cities like it wasn't that far removed where people just decided to well let's all congregate together and you know build these buildings and 
this town and we're going to try to make this burden you know easier on us and it's almost like now it's like yeah now like you're saying with the bugs and the creepy crawlies and all that like now we're actually we used to be in unison and and flowing with nature now it's almost like we're, we're flowing against it you guys remember the movie the revenant or what is it called the revenant the revenant yeah that like i think that's a good is that i would say that that's a good uh, uh what is it like a good picture picture movie of like what it's like to out, live out there like just going make getting your fish and just frying up your fire pit and cooking the food and then the bear taxi it's like it's beautiful and it's brutal all yeah. at the same time <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is it's crazy yeah but yeah that that movie is one of the most beautiful movies like just visually speaking yeah like, it's so striking to just see the way that they shot their scenes along with like just nature in the background and just how it's all it was, it was all just all the scenery was just very beautiful all the time and then it's like this really hard like struggle in the foreground's violent and you know the tales that are, that are happening and just you know a lot a lot of you know the the infighting and the fur traders and the indians and it's 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 crazy but at the same time it's like wow they got to live in a time where only that was there yeah well that's what life was it yeah. was always it was really the the wild west is not as uh it's not very glamorous when no you, <laughs> when you look into no, the stories it yeah that was that was that was like pretty vicious bear attack, and they made it look real. Like you, f- you almost felt those, the claws, and just like how brutal it was. And then the the gunpowder, oh man, that was brutal. I don't think I could ever do that. I don't know. Hard man, you had to be a hard guy to like survive in those times. Man, that's good stuff. I think. Um, it's funny because yesterday we had your cousin, Stephen, and he was talking about, like, if he ever, if there was ever a point in time where he felt like he needed, like, to take his family and, and go out and live more, like, in, um, like, in nature, basically, like, in the wilderness, not the wilderness, they, but... They call it, uh, like off the, the grid. Off the grid, yeah. And it's, like, how how hard that would be still because we're we're so intertwined with, like, the Pave, like, pavement, pavement, government government regulations, concrete and, jungle. Yeah, it's like it'd be so. It's like so difficult to just like go off the grid and live. I mean, it depends on where you go, obviously. But if you have a family, like you're not gonna be able to go all that off the grid. You gotta be able to be close enough to resources, you know. But have you ever thought about going off the grid? Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Uh, it, it would it would definitely be something. That's a lot of work, but it would be, like, worth it, you know. It has to be for someone that's, like, really committed to that type of lifestyle. I have to be really committed to it. And and even then, you know, I, I could see how some people might not be able to do it with a family. Yeah. Because you have so many more burdens and responsibilities when it comes to family. Yeah, I was going to say at least try it out for the summer. 
summer months and see what that's like to live out in the cabin. And you ain't got to worry about little kids, though, because they're little savages, man. They'll <laughs> they'll just they'll adapt to nature like way faster than adults. They'll figure it out. That's yeah. for sure. They'll, they'll just go with the flow. We killed this bunny. <laughs> can we eat it? Uh-huh. Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of like where my whole like appreciation of nature journey has is gone. It, it's it's come at you know in a time where it's like I didn't have full use of my body the way I'm used to having it. And I think it comes with like realization kind of like what Lee said earlier a realization of vulnerability you know the the more the more resources that you have to depend on the less likely you are to stop and look at something like nature yeah you know, um, you know it, it it's almost like you have to have a moment of vulnerability to like stop and and really contemplate, really think, like really consider, you know, different different things, and, and it's like a lot of a lot of the things that you see in like the Book of Psalms primarily is, you know, he was contemplating nature a lot. He was contemplating his vulnerability and his shortcomings, and you know, you see it throughout throughout the Book of Psalms. You see just all the variations that is that is life that his life takes and and just you know how different circumstances allow him to kind of better connect more with like his creator and you know a consciousness of his vulnerability or you know his shortcomings always causes him to run to like these really like awesome imageries of like you know Psalms twenty three that's like really beautiful poetic imagery of a man connecting with nature because of the goodness of God. Yeah. And, you know, having these this imagery of like the way God's gonna protect me is he's gonna take me to nature, to green pastures, to still waters and restoration. So it's like That's interesting. It's almost I didn't say it that way, but it's almost like God was bringing him back to nature and bringing him back to found, foundationally anyway with with his relationship, right? Because he was he obviously would have been more of an outdoorsy person because he was a shepherd when he was young, so he was accustomed to the land, accustomed to the terrain and animals. It's like you're saying, like he probably got too comfortable being in the palace, being the king. Mm-hmm. No longer having to go into battle and, you know, neglecting his responsibilities. And then, like you're saying, like once he was on the run, then again, back to nature, back to, it's almost like a back to basics type of thing. And it's funny because it's like, you think, oh, poor David, you know, he was on the run from King Saul and he went from being in a palace to being in caves and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, you know, he is used to the caves. Yeah. I'm sure the palace is kind of like, the uncomfortable part of who he was because like he was really in touch with that whole you know part of being out in nature and homies killing bears and lions with his bare hands so yeah what's what's a small cave (laughs) it's good stuff boom all right now 
No. Oh, I just wanted to go boom. <laughs> boom? Yeah. <laughs> just to give some explosion, some explosiveness to this. <laughs> boom it is. Hey, you could hey, you do you. So last time we talked about I don't know when I lost the audio. We talked about the time that you grew up in Mexico and and then we talked a little bit about your um when you were when you were running those youth camps and all that. I don't know if we can well if we could talk a little bit more to kind of talk about that again. But just in terms of like this nature topic, like how much of the the youth camps was out because it was like out in like I forget where it was like in Big Bear no yeah we had, Bear. we had them primarily in that San Bernardino Mountains Big Bear area so same situation right you guys were out there like in nature with just like the cabins and stuff it's it's good because it has the sense of you're out of the city but you know with so many kids and you know a lot of them are yeah you know they're outdoorsy kids but a lot of them are not a lot of them all they've known is the city and you know that's all they know other you know for some that still have family in mexico and might go visit them in mexico and get a different kind of pace of life for the most part all the kids that we were that we were helping with and 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 ministering to i say kids they were like in their teens uh most of these teens that we were ministering to all they knew was being in the city like urban settings and East so, LA, <laughs> East LA, like the East LA area, and so going out for a week into the mountains where they had no cell reception, and you know were forced to be around trees all day. It it, it was cool because they still had you know the comforts of, of nature. We had like dorm dorm uh, living, um, and breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and all that all that nice stuff that keeps you from dying um, <laughs> but there was also a time to be away from technology and, and TV and unplug and and just kind of be in a setting all day where you're contemplating uh, you know God and uh, being in a setting where you have you know people breaking down the word daily and throughout the day and and you know, having a worship gathering in the evening and just being away from that, being away from the city. And it was kind of, you know, being out in the woods and the forest. And so, yeah, it's, it was a, it was a major part of, of, of ministry, you know, early on from when me and Lupe got married and, in the year 2000. Well, in the year 2000. In the year 2000. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we got married back in 2000. And, and shortly after that is when we got involved in, in youth ministry and and just did that for a good number of years and created environments where kids can go out and unplug and learn more about Christ maybe or you know even if they weren't necessarily there to to take advantage of like being in an environment where they could get closer to Christ it was definitely an environment where they were exposed to different things yeah you know they were exposed to you know communal living they were exposed to 
uh, having schedules or having structure. You know, a lot. You know, a lot of these kids didn't have structure. Well, it's definitely uh, taking you out of your comfort zone, especially if you're being in a cabin with people that you're not familiar with. You don't know. You're forced to say hello. I'm, yeah. What church are you from? How old are you? Oh, do you know so and so? Yeah. You're away from your parents for the first time right. many times, right? Right. It's like a whole new world out there. Like some kids have never stayed anywhere else, you know. Like they've spent a night at yeah. their friend's house or something. But other than that, no. I remember. I still remember the first time that I went to one of these um, retreats. It was like 1989. I was like nine years old. My mom gave me $15 to spend for the week. I thought I was rich. <laughs> you know? I was like, oh, I got 15 whole dollars. And, you know, it's just, I, I remember just being being away from home, and, but not feeling homesick hmm. or not freaking out because I wasn't at home. You know, I was around enough people that I knew and, and met some really good friends that are still friends now and you know lifelong lifelong friendships and so yeah I have very very fond memories of of that environment you know for what what it was to me on a personal level and then what it was to me on a ministry level where you know we, we like I said we always tried to create an environment where people could be unburdened with the struggles of daily life and be hyper focused on learning something about God or learning something about themselves through God's word. And so that was that was a, a really really good part of you know early ministry or you know thoughts of going into ministry or heavily influenced by by that work. Yeah, it's funny. My a friend of mine. Or one of the churches over here in uh, like Costa Mesa Newport area, they have this uh, event they put on. It's a Triple G or something like that, or G three. It's God, Guns, and Grub, mm. and they go out like kind of same situation, but it thing's supposed to be like all men or like a men focused thing. And they go out and they're like shooting. They shoot their guns. They're like making food. They're doing like the ministry and the fellowship. And it's just funny, like God, Guns, and Grub. I think it's just funny. Sounds like a good time to me. I, I, was, like, I, was, like, I was like, this religion sounds uh, yeah. good to me. Yeah, yeah it sounds Sign me fairly up. reasonable. <laughs> I was like really tempted to go. I was like, oh man, that'd be so awesome to go out there like that. Those are all things I can agree with. <laughs> it doesn't have to be in that order, but you know, this all all three of those G's. That's that, good stuff. <laughs> just how cool would that be? You know, like to go out barbecue, shoot some. Some AKs and some uh, was M13s or whatever they're called. Whatever those guns are called. I don't know what they're called. Is it M13? M4. 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 There's a military, yeah, issue. There's a, there's a, what is it called? It's the AR, AR. AR. There's the AR-15, yeah, that's the other one. But I remember, like, shooting, like, an M15, I think it was. I can't remember. But I remember we went to go shoot, and, like, you're standing next to the gun, you can feel, like, the... The, the impact the impact but yeah. when you're shooting yourself it's like so nice it's like it's like a pillow you're just 
That sounds funny, huh? You're just shooting a pillow. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel hard, like it doesn't give you that impact when you're actually shooting the gun. It's weird. Yeah, our, our buddy, um, buddy of ours, Tony. Shout out to Sergeant Maury. The Marine. Shout out. Oh, he's a, nice. He's a, he's a staff sergeant, I believe. Now, in staff the Marine still in the Marine Corps. Yeah, he's been he's been in for a lot a lot of years. He actually was one of the guys that would volunteer and, and help us out in the youth ministry for the camps and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he is, he is one of our staff guys. He's, That'll keep people on check. He's a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's a good guy. But yeah, he, he went through the whole bit where he signed up, enlisted, um, got deployed, was, was deployed in Afghanistan for a while and uh, came back and just, you know, kind of... He's been making. He's been making, uh, being in the Marine Corps a career, and just kind of. What does he do for work? Like in the Marines. The, uh, works in a light armored vehicle company. Okay. That's not quite tanks. Yeah. They're ar- They're armored. They're not. So like Teslas. No. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> Did he help uh, build a new that new Tesla truck? No, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> I hope not, because that was horrendous. Yeah, yeah, sure was. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> On the crossroads, Tesla yeah. trucks horrendous. That was that was Uber light window protection right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's good stuff. No, but he. It's a they're definitely it's a combat you know company, but they. Uh, more like they do civilian work. Well, I think they're like into combat infantry operations, but the the vehicles they take into doing their work are light armored vehicles. What is I don't even honestly what does that mean? So like, like you said, it's not a tank. So it's like, like a jeep. No, no. No, it, it you look at it and it's pretty intimidating looking. Um, you look it up on like YouTube. You just do LAV. Uh, You've seen like those those SWAT trucks. Oh, they come like, like a batter like yeah, building. Yeah. So it's that size, got or it, even got bigger. It. It's a pretty sizable vehicle with, got it. with like a fifty caliber gun on top. Got yeah. it. Okay. Okay. Dang. So he works not, on like building those. Humvee. No, it's, it's not a, Humvee. No. But yeah, he's gone through all the all the jobs. I guess you can say of of those being in those vehicles now. Training guys that are under, that are under him. Now he's the old Wiley veteran. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's the veteran now. And trains trains guys, and you know he's had a few deployments where he's worked with like other countries to help train their soldiers, or, or like mutual mutual training. Wow. Yeah, he went, he went to somewhere in Scandinavia, Nor- right? Norway, I think. He Last went to year, Norway. What? Trained yeah. trained soldiers. Yeah. Norway is beautiful. I've only been to one city in Norway, and I can say Norway is beautiful. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> you've, hey, you've been there. Yeah. I've been to one city in Norway, but it was it was actually really really nice. I like it. I like the Nordic countries. Yeah. I've only been to two. What am I talking about? Look at me. Did you feel the burn when you were there? Did I feel the burn? Oh man, it was you, all over. You were like really proud of being a socialist country. Yeah, I was. I was very proud of it. It was very great. It's fantastic. <laughs> This is the base. <laughs> yeah, I went to like uh, Copenhagen, Denmark. That's not even Norway. 
Gosh, I don't mean. What no, am I? Is, am I, I American? Of, I think it is part of the Scandinavian country. It's part right? of the, the Scandinavian country, yeah. but Norway, Denmark, and Sweden, very separate countries. Yes. Um, if you didn't know that, but we're, we're breaking news here today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was Copenhagen, uh, Denmark. Uh, it's great. It's beautiful. I love it there. And then you take a train, like it goes under the water. It goes across to Sweden. And then you have like Malmo, um, and that was in Lund, L-U-N-D, Lund, Sweden. It like the pavement or the roads were uh, cobblestone. It was so nice. That's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. And they got like, a lot of nature out there. Yeah. They have a lot. Oh, like yeah. they don't. They haven't like destroyed them. The beauty out there. It's like super nice. I feel okay. So that to me is a good mix of like they're building like their little urban cities and like. You know developments and stuff, but they still have the beauty. They haven't like totally destroyed it. They're not densely populated. No, either, they're right? not densely so that's, populated. Yeah, it's so a lot that easier to a lot yeah. easier to get away with so, something like. Socialism. I think that's what I was thinking about when I was thinking like I feel like in the U.S. we kind of ruined it a little bit with like New York and L.A. It's too, too many people, it's just too much, too in many one cities. Space. Yeah, I feel like that's why we get all like bent out of shape. You know, we're just always <laughs> like on top of each other, and oh, it's like that's why. You, that's why you get. Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> Wise guy. <laughs> that makes sense. Makes sense. Because you like, I'm sure you go out there. Like, uh, where, where were we? Can't even remember anymore. What's wrong with my memory? Canada. No, not Canada. Dang it. But like, we were in. Uh, okay, we went to Oklahoma, and it's like beauty all over the place. But there's tornadoes, so you gotta watch out for that, right? That's not. That's not good. But. It's like there's so much space out there, and we're all like congested over here in, in like LA and even like Orange County a little bit. Well, and didn't you guys say that, Jacob, when you guys went to Oregon, you guys came back that you guys felt the air was different? It felt dirty, huh? It felt dirty when you guys came back to LA. Yeah. <laughs> got to LA, I was like, oh, how am I gonna do this, man? <laughs> uh, how am I gonna do this? Go back to Tustin and. Regular life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, something different out there. That's cool, though. You guys have that friend. I remember uh, you were talking about potentially going out and shooting. So um, we'll have to set something up after the surgery. Yes. I, I, I like shooting. That's pretty fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get in there and get all that taken care of by, like, mid-March. Recovery time's, like, four to six weeks. So I should be back to work in, like, early May. So you'll be dang yeah. four to six weeks. Look out though, because Jacob shoots like John Wayne. <laughs> he goes like this. Nice. <laughs> he tries the what's that movie uh, where they like bend the bullets or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> I want you to bend this bullet. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> Just stand right there, Lee. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, I got you. <laughs> tries to throw it around you. There goes Lee. How ridiculous Hollywood is sometimes, right? It was entertaining, though, a little bit. Like, it was entertaining, yeah. It was very entertaining. I, okay, that reminds me of that movie, uh, Now You See Me. Wasn't Morgan Freeman in both of those movies? Yeah. Magician movies? Magician movies? Yes, sure. It's kind of the same, you know? It's like this whole, like, magic. We can make anything happen in the movies, and it's beautiful. I'm taking us off topic here, huh? No, it's fine. Cause I, I hear magicians and I just think of Gob Bluth 
<laughs> for those that have seen Rest of Development, he's the oldest brother of the family in the show, and he's like this uh, magician who gets kicked out of the Magician's Alliance oh my for revealing their secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, sorry, that's all I, that's all I can connect yeah, it with. We have magicians, <laughs> Mr. Gobbleuth. It's a classic series. He can't find a job. He can't find any work because he got kicked out. And he's a horrible magician. Yeah, he's a horrible <laughs> magician. It's like one of the funniest storylines in that in that entire um, series because he's like super arrogant. He's like super proud, and but. It's funny because he's also like one of his catchphrases in the series is "I've made a huge mistake." He's, he's always, "Oh, I've made a huge mistake." I made to a himself, huge mistake. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you know when he gets called out on it, you're like, instead of always saying that I've made a huge mistake, what are you trying to not do? Blah blah blah, whatever. And he's like all offended. He's like, "I've never admitted to making a mistake." <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh man, I feel like I missed out on so many shows. Like I think about Arrested Development, Parks and Rec, um, The League, like even The Simpsons and Family Guy, and um, what's the other one? Marty, you guys talk about Rick and Morty. Like I never got to see those any of those South Park. I wasn't like into them. I I never watched a lot of those shows. Well, when we were young, where really, you are out of control. When we were really young. <laughs> When we were really young growing up, my mom's super old school. She's like super old school disciplinarian. My dad was like the super hippie free spirit song singer songwriter dude. Um, and my mom was like the ultra disciplinarian. Like she's not really Mexican. She's like German or something. Oh. <laughs> Russian German lady. Yeah, and she was super super strict. And I remember we had to ask permission for everything. You know, for everything we had to, you know, give her the proper homage. <laughs> One of the things that we had to ask permission for was to watch TV. So we, you know, being dumb kids that don't think things through, we would go and say, Mom, can I watch TV? And her, you know, always being able to argue circles around us would say, yes, you can watch it, just don't turn it on. Ooh. And I'd be like... <laughs> Got lawyered out, huh, Maury? Man, I was like, and it's like you, you wouldn't learn, and you would still every day. Can I watch TV? Yes, just don't turn it on. Oh, she oh. got us again, man! She got us again. We're gonna get her next time. Oh man, that's good. Can I turn on the TV, Mom? No, you can't turn on the TV. Did you guys ever figure it out at one no. point? No. You still don't know how to turn the TV on, huh? Because <laughs> you never did it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like that was that was her deal. You know, she was a very strict disciplinarian, and she had to be because she was the oldest um, sibling in her family. And you know, she had one older brother, but then after her, all the other siblings were born. And you know, my parents were like very much into the agriculture. Um, and you know, just having to follow the work as it changes in seasons, and and um, you know, my grandfather, you know, coming to the U.S. normally for like different seasons and different harvests. Um, so my grandmother, you know, would work at a 
cornmeal where they made tortillas. And so my mom worked at that cornmeal from a very early age. I think they pulled her out of school at third grade. Dang. Yeah, they pulled her out of school at third grade because, you know, they said she's too big. This girl's too big to be in school. She needs to be working to contribute to her family. Uh, so, so she did. From third grade, she worked at a cornmill and and just has been working really like her entire life. Up until 65 when she retired, finally retired. Um, but yeah, it's like, geez. <laughs> you know, she, she had to help her mom to like raise all her siblings. And even now, you know, they most of them are still around. She's lost her oldest brother and and she lost another younger brother. Um, but all of her other siblings are still around. She's like the oldest one and and you know they they still know her as they used to call her the law. The law. You know, she's the one that she, because she was the oldest sibling and you know my my uncle, her oldest brother, was already out working. My grandfather was out working. Everybody that could work was already out working. And she had really young siblings that she took care of. So while everybody was working and while she wasn't working, she was in charge of, like, the household. Disciplinary, yeah. And so she had to be a, a big disciplinarian because she had all these, you know, little individuals muchachos. And, and muchachos and, and you know shenanigans and antics to deal with and manage and you know have a sustainable household so you know by the time that she takes on the role of mother and now being Jacob's mom and you know my older brother Obed's mom um, she had to be disciplinarian um, because you know my dad would go out work and and she had to hold it down while he was gone and um and then after, you know, they separated and he went on his way and she still had to hold it down, you know, now that she was by herself. So um, she's always taken that that role of like the disciplinarian. <laughs> I feel like I just heard the plot for the movie Coco. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Pretty much. Low key, huh? Low key, yeah, Coco. There you go. All right. I'm not going to sing for you guys. No? Dang, I was hoping. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> we don't have a white guitar? We don't have a white guitar. Mama Coco. <laughs> no, because you were saying that your dad was like the hippie singer-songwriter, and then your mom was disciplinary, and I was like, that's <laughs> not, totally... That's the cool, yeah. yeah. Not really hippie, but he definitely had 70s hair. Oh, yeah. Get a little bit of fro or what? I, he had a little bit of fry, I remember. I remember, like, now looking back and I laugh because, like, um, all of his, like, hair care products and, like, aftershave. It was like the typical 70s dude, like, <laughs> his hair, you know, like a flop comb over. He watched Shaft um, and stuff. I'm sure he did. <laughs> but just being a, a singer-songwriter and, you know, Realizing that that doesn't really make money to raise a family, so just kind of working whatever he could work, and always being like a real handy dude with his hands, and like make making his own guitar, and you know doing whatever work he could as a carpenter or whatever work he could as a leather tanner, and you know making. Just sounds like a, a modern day hipster to me. He <laughs> does. <laughs> Such a hipster, man. 
and like <laughs> like I remember like laughing at at when he had a bottle of hairspray, no brand, no nothing, and he just had. Like a silhouette of a dude with like his hair and like one of those flop seventies comb overs and and I just thinking like that's my dad's hair and <laughs> the bottle it was like a bottle of hairspray and it was just a black bottle with like that silhouette of the dude's head and then in the bottom it said the wet look and <laughs> like I remember like now looking back and being like oh that's cheesy <laughs> like yeah that was the comb it out and you know. Footloose. <laughs> he was a Footloose. Definitely a different era, right? Different 70s. era. Totally different era. That is hilarious. Totally different it's era. weird. It's weird seeing your parents in old old pictures like that. Yeah. Like, like who is this person? Mom shows me a picture of their wedding. Like, I've the only time you see bow ties that big are on clouds. <laughs> you know, super huge seventies bow tie with like the Austin Powers frilly oh, yeah, yeah. like shirt and stuff like that. I was like, oh, that's right, you got married in the seventies. <laughs> My grandpa had in his room pictures like. Um, like professionally done of my grandma and all my aunts and my mom and they all had like these like fluffy dresses like super just like cloudy looking dresses and like they all had like perm looking hair and like it was just like they're all right there in the room i was like we never thought much about it but like you, you like thinking back to it now it's like that's funny like he just they just all decided to take the same kind of picture <laughs> they, were, they were like those like model shots like if you're gonna be an actress or whatever it's like super like interesting looking and stuff I'm like okay this is kind of weird <laughs> well, that, that's yeah it's crazy how like 70s and 80s I know is, is one of the two decades that stand out as far as like oh yeah we can look back now and see what doesn't hold like what stands out completely for that era so it just kind of makes you wonder like today like what are the things that we're doing or for example like self uh, what's it called selfies social media where it's like 20 years from now is that going to be made fun of like is that going to be I hope so <laughs> right like people taking pictures in the bathroom and oh my gosh that's like, the most hilarious one ever <laughs> the, the the blow dryer is right next to them. <laughs> like why do you want to show everybody how dirty your bathroom is <laughs> It's funny when they take those like uh, those bathroom shots with the mirror and they're always looking like at the camera or like looking at the picture that they're taking of themselves mm-hmm. instead of actually looking in the mirror so you can like see their face better. They're always like looking down like, oh, I'm so cute. Like, look at me. I'm adorable. I'm like, just look at the mirror like so you can see your face. You're trying to take a picture. I don't know. I guess I'm just a hater. I can't pull it off. This no, no. Like I said, it's just... There's a couple stuff that I see that I'm like, is that really going to be cool? Like 15 years from now, 20 years from now? Like if you look at old pictures and you're just like, what was I thinking? Right. Yeah, I have those moments. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Looking at old junior high pictures, it's like, whoa, you really went with that. Huh? <laughs> like, that's the outfit you went with on that day. I thought okay. that was so cool. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I remember being in the sixth grade. And um, there was only three white kids in our entire school. And and one of them was, was my friend. His name was Dennis Clapthor. I, I don't know whatever happened to him. You know, I hope hope he's doing all right wherever he is. Uh, but he said, um, 
let's go get you a haircut. I said, all right. I said, Dennis is a cool guy, so I I trust him. And he went and told the barber to give me a mullet. So I remember, like, (laughs) buzz cut on the sides. And, like, you know, back then, I was getting a haircut, like, once every two or three months. So I would be rocking the fro sometimes. And I remember I was rocking a pretty solid fro when my friend Dennis took me to get a haircut and and told the barber to give me a mullet. I remember, I remember getting home and my mom freaking out because I had a mullet. <laughs> and, and, you know, she just was not having it. And, I mean, she didn't, she didn't give me a, a home haircut or anything, but she made me go get it fixed. Who fixed it? Who paid for the haircut? My friend Dennis. <laughs> he paid for the haircut? That's hilarious. He paid for the haircut. He was a bad influence, man. That kid was a bad influence. You just, but you just want to do hood rat stuff with your friends? With my friends, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to get into those. You got to, I don't know, I was going to go with this. I was thinking like the Ninja Turtles. Like Cowabunga dude, you know? Like those little ri- rat, <laughs> risk, ras, 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 risk. How you say it? Or little rascals? Little rascals. <laughs> yeah, was, you know, I definitely had moments of, you know, growing up. It's like you see the styles and the changes and the changes in mentality, and you look back and it's like, man, that was crazy. So yeah, you know that they're probably gonna be looking back in a few years, back at this era, and being like, what were they thinking? Uh, just in the same way that I look back at my dad's era and say, wow, dad, you couldn't find a bigger bow tie. You know? <laughs> It's funny because I, I look at those home videos that we had and all oh, my clothes were baggy. Like my shirt, like I was a 13-year-old with like double X, <laughs> went down to my knees and like just super baggy, just terrible. I don't know why. It's little, like slowly but surely everything just shrank, right? Yeah, yeah. Clothes. I, st- I think I still fit in those clothes. Yikes. <laughs> Imagine. Just like, okay, we're going to, it's like when you're a newborn baby. I don't know why I said it that way, but like a newborn baby buy them clothes that are they're gonna grow into. That's what they did with me when I was thirteen year old. <laughs> We're gonna buy clothes when you're twenty five. You're gonna fit in them perfectly. Don't worry about it. You'll be good clothes. Yeah, they're good clothes. Especially, especially for those babies hanging out in the streets at two in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? No. Dave Chappelle. What was that? He has a joke. He has, he has a bit. He has a bit about about being taken to the ghetto. And not realizing that he was in the ghetto until he saw a baby on a street corner and it was two in the morning. And he said, these are classic signs of of ghetto uh, ghetto tendencies. Of, of ghetto tendencies. <laughs> you know, he started talking about seeing like liquor stores and karate stores and gun stores and Realizing, uh oh, I'm in the ghetto. <laughs> yeah, I don't a, know this area. He was in a but, new town for a, a show, or oh, okay, and he's like, being taken in a limo. Yeah, like I don't know this area, but all these are very hood like. All these people are displaying hood like tendencies. <laughs> Dave Chappelle, that guy's awesome. Did you guys see that he won the Mark Twain Award? I did. The 2019 see that. Mark Twain Award, yeah. It was awesome. They had like John Stewart, right? John Stewart. No, was it John Stewart? A lot of different comics and a lot of different people that have been like yeah. influential 
to his career, like there and stuff. But it's funny because like comics are another like are a profession that I think of that has a lot of pain involved in it. Oh yeah, you know, it's like they their mind has to be you know shifted in a certain way where they can see the things that they see, and it's like things that normal people don't see. Like, I go out through, throughout my life and I don't make the connections that he's making or that other comics are making. And But, like, I think to myself, man, you have to be pretty messed up to see that. Oh, yeah. And then, like, to communicate it in a way where it's funny. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is like, wow, that's a, that's a special individual. But at the same time, it's like, he must be in a lot of pain. And in need of some help. <laughs> you know? Dave, call. We call will us, help. Dave. Yeah. Reconnect Ministries. Tested. Come out. Come by. Yeah, it's interesting how it's fascinating, like all that pain and trauma they went through, and somehow or another they're able to like just stand up and stage and be exposed and be vulnerable like that. Like there's this guy, uh, this comedian, Mark Mark Norman. And he talks about how he lived. He grew up in like, the, like the South, like New Orleans area, and they were like the only, um, like white people in that neighborhood. And he said like growing up, like his bike, his stuff would get constantly stolen, like his bike, and like he would get bullied. And then his parents worked so much because they had gotten this house that they couldn't afford. And his nanny was a a, a black transsexual woman, I think it was, or like a head, like a uh, like a what do you call it like a metrosexual or something like that and like massive like six foot two like transsexual nanny or something like that and he's just like he just goes in like just makes all these different bits about it and he's just he's like super awkward like he's he was on Drogan's podcast and he couldn't even make eye contact with him he's like I don't know how to make human connections like I'm doing my best <laughs> and he's like super awkward talk but about, yeah talk about perspective right so like he just he's just up there like quick you know he's like kind of quick on his bits because he he feels like awkward trying to set up his 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 um what do you call him like the hit the punchlines the punchlines like he's like super like worried that it's gonna take too long and people are not gonna want to like listen to him and he's like you could tell he's like super awkward but he's hilarious super hilarious that's usually what it takes yeah yeah <laughs> that's like the typical comedian something has to be off right yeah in their in their personality or Something. So that's what gives them the, like Jacob was saying, like, it gives them the ability to see things a certain way. It's because they just think differently compared to the normal person, the average person. Yeah. It's like, man. They're, it's like, that's what they're made to do. Yeah. You know? No matter No matter what they would be doing, that would be somehow a part of their life. Whether they have an audience of four people in the lunchroom or an audience of thousands as famous comics, you know, there's people all around that aren't comics that are that, you know? It's it's really interesting, just, like, the whole, like, human component of it. It's like the the way, like, different stories unfold. Yeah, I mean, and it definitely stands out when they're genuine it's almost like the ones that are more 
genuine. They're forced to be more bold, or it's almost like you have to be a certain level of crazy to be that brave to say the things that they're going to say. Because if not, you know, it's not going to land the same. If you're not as honest as you could have been for that for that joke or for that bit, you know, for that perspective. Yeah, I, I think that way. I, I think that's why for me, like, I love comedy. Like, I love just people riffing and just like the different, like even like Louis C.K. You know, I know he uh, he was a little iffy on his behind the scenes uh, actions, his dark arts that was going down in the hotel rooms, but like his stuff was intense. I don't know if you guys saw his uh, opening dialogue on um, monologue on Saturday Night Live about like people who mess with like little kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've never seen any of his stand up. Oh, it's awesome. It's great. Like he so his monologue is basically like he's like people who mess with kids like it has to be like that good for you to like risk going to jail and being like ostracized from society. And then it's like super awkward cuz you know the audience is like what are you doing? What are you saying? But like he goes for it, and at the end he's like, "We got through that. Like, thank you all for uh, for for helping me with this." But yeah, and imagine imagine the type of pain in a human soul that sees all of those things but can't speak them, oh, or right. can't articulate them, or you know, wow. So it's like it gives you, yeah, like I said, different perspective on, on comics, just different type of respect for what they do and the things that they have to endure to be able to see what they see and then articulate it. Yeah. You know? And just like the constant pressure of of needing to see something new to be able to say something new and keep people engaged. Like, I don't know how these comics do it. Like, guys like have like five one-hour specials where yeah. they're just like you know? And it takes them like like two three years to come up with those hour specials and yeah, it's like constant work, constant, constant, constant. You're writing, you're thinking, and you're like going out trying material. I'm like, man, huge kudos because literally like they are their like they're exposed, like they are the brand. Like if mm-hmm. they fail, they mm-hmm. fail. Yeah, and it's like them failing. I don't know, like not many times we we deal with it that way, you know, like in front of people like that. I can't imagine. I mean, it's definitely, it'd definitely be cool to try it out, but... Yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a rough one. I can't imagine. Can you imagine just, like, not being accepted? That's kind of how you would feel, right? Like, you're trying to laugh, like, trying to make people laugh, and you're like, oh, man. That happened, actually, when we went to the comedy store. The first guy that was on, he was, like, going through his bits, and then he ends it early, apparently. And then the host comes up, and then he's, like, walking away. He's like, yeah, I had, like, I had more, I had more bits that I could have done like he was all upset because no one was laughing at his stuff and it's like dude you can't be mad at us like <laughs> we're here to be entertained you can't yeah. expect to be funny no yeah because I've heard that from some of them I've been on with Joe where it's like it, it's a monologue but it's actually a good comedian has to read the the audience has to read the room has to understand like and, and it's weird the way that they, they put it it's like Depending on the time of day that you go, yeah, and the the day of the week that you go, th- that's gonna depend. Like, he's like, people are not relaxed on a Sunday at five p.m. because everyone has to go to work the next day, so they're not gonna be you know loose. They're not gonna be 
you know, in that mood, in that mindset, you know, like you, they would a Friday or Saturday night. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I can't imagine. It, look, it looks cool. Like, it, they make it look easy. Oh, yeah, no. I don't, I don't, I don't think I could ever do something like that. I think like you could, Maury. Comedy? Oh, man. I've done, like, one, like, small bit at, like, a friend's party once. It, it, it's pretty brutal. Like, I, I was, like, broke but, out into a sweat the entire time. But if we gave you time, if we gave you, like, oh, a month or two to, like, Jake Gabriel saying, like, formulate something, you know, because... Yeah, Jacob has he has stories. He's a storyteller. He's got perspective. There you go. He, he was talking about his mom, and his mom is actually like one of the tougher, more brutal ladies that you can meet. <laughs> I know from experience because when I used to go to his house when I was single before I was married, I could go whenever I wanted. Like I had the freedom, the dependence, and and then you know I started I started dating my wife, and you know. Little by little, that dwindled. The time spent at Jacob's house, you know, dwindled. And finally, I got engaged, and, you know, he wouldn't see me as much. I wouldn't come over as much. And then one day, his mom was like, she looked at me, and she's like, oh, they let you out? (laughs) (laughs) Savage. She's like, like, they gave you permission. Right for the jugular. And I was just like, uh, yeah. (laughs) But she'll start it out with with something like, oh, what a miracle. (laughs) This is great. Oh no! They let you out. <laughs> I was like, and then, and then she'll be like, "Cause ever since you blah 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 blah, you're not coming around anymore." What? And just like, just straight out like that. Like, what, what am I supposed to say to the, my friend's mom who just <laughs> called me out? Like, I can't, I can't say anything to that. Like, you're correct. Yes, you are correct. correct. <laughs> it's like, oh come on, man. The subtitle says "cries in Spanish." Crazy, yeah, <laughs> definitely crazy in Spanish. My mom is a, is a tough woman. <laughs> She's like a low key comedian because she thought she set that one up. She, yeah, she set oh, that man, one up. There's like good setup. Like, <laughs> like me, I, I was a bad kid. I was a bad, not bad. Like I'm gonna kill you, mom. But like bad. Like I was always into some kind of mischief. Yeah. Like I would get spanked every day because I needed it. You know. <laughs> It was your daily medicine. I was I was a punk kid, so I would give my mom a hard time. Nothing would ever get past her because she's like super sharp. And then she'd have to come and be the disciplinarian. And what am I gonna do? I know I have it coming, you know. So I just take it, you know. Not try to like talk her out of it or anything. Be like, and I remember one of the most hardcore savage things she ever said to me was, she said. Where do you come from? And I was like, uh, I'm your son. <laughs> and she was like, No, where do you come from? So I could order another ten. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, What? <laughs> I was like, Burn. <laughs> She's like, I enjoy you so much that I need ten more of you. It's like, oh. Okay, I know sarcasm when I see yeah. it. Like. Mucho take it easy. Mucho take it easy. And then, and then, like, she just realizes that she knows that I know that she burned me. And now it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. No, it gets worse, right? When, uh, when, like, Jacob, like you said, when they, 
when they hit these Mexican moms when they hit that like viejita status. Yeah, that old, old lady the old status. lady status because like I'm hearing it from my sister about my grandma. So my sister lives with my grandma. She's 92. Yeah, and your your grandma and your sister. My grandma's and my sister. What? But his, yes, Gabriel. His grandmother is 92. His <laughs> sister is not 92. Continue. <laughs> For those at home who can't see, Gabriel's like really, really laughing at himself. Joke. That was good stuff. No, but but because you know my my sister has to like remind her or put her in check sometimes, and my grandma's comebacks are like, "This is why you're never gonna get married." Oh. <laughs> or the other day she's like she she was telling her something, and my, my grandma got mad, and she's like, "This is why you're never gonna be rich." What? <laughs> Like, what are you talking what about? Are you talking about? <laughs> Jeez. 92. At that point, like, you have no filter. No, they don't care anymore. I wonder yeah. when the filter comes off. Like, 65, 66? I'd say, like, in their 70s. It's, like, 75. That's 75. when the filter comes off. And it's like, they don't oh, care like anymore. My mom's, my mom's going to be 82 in June. And, yeah, she's pretty much just late, says it. And, and she says it, and you do it. <laughs> Yeah, moms. That's good stuff. I mean, for me, that's good stuff. It's like she's earned that. You know, she's she did a lot. Yeah, she she lived uh she lived uh a a tough life. You know, a struggle and whatnot, and they weren't rich or well off by any means. Um, so they had the typical struggles of of someone that that grew up without the opportunities of of education and or living in an urban area you know um but you know it's 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 weird because you see the progression in in families like in her younger siblings these were all the people that worked and some of her some of my younger uncles used to call my oldest uncle, the oldest brother of their family, they used to call him dad mm. because he had to take on that role once my grandfather passed. Um, he was now the the oldest dude in the family, so he had to take on that role of providing for the family and helping my grandma out and helping all his sisters out. And, and so some of my younger uncles and aunts still refer to them you know my uncle Teodoro they all call him Papa Teodoro but he's their older brother it's just that 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 was the role he took of like the man of the family that's crazy so it's like that's all really interesting to me but you see like the older generation all had those I guess you if, you know you, today we see them as disadvantages but Without those opportunities, they still made good lives for themselves, you know, and still were able to be productive citizens and and role models to their younger brothers, and 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 carved out a life that that was well enough for the younger siblings to all work, like they were all professionals and they all you know retired from like good jobs and have pensions and things that their older generation didn't necessarily have because they were living day by day. You know, they were more into, like, the agriculture life. And, and, you know, you 
you worked for your wages of that day so you could eat that day and and lived off the land as much as they could and just took every opportunity to work um, and then now my younger uncles who are now I, I'd say they're in their 50s late 50s and they're all now retired professionals who are very educated and it's funny you see that spectrum change throughout the years in one family yeah that's a trip but it's like that's the the kind of lives that they had to have because of the available opportunities that they had or lack of opportunities that they had but it's like still like something that's very noble there's like a certain nobility to being able to be the provider of your family you know uh, or you know being very present in the upbringing of your sibling to the point that you're molding them like if you were their parent and you know them having that kind of respect for for older siblings and, and recognizing that they didn't necessarily take on the role of older brother they play the role of dad and yeah that's you know that's kind of the way that my family progressed so I see a lot of that in in my mom which for me now it's like okay this was your life you know that to me that gives you the right to say whatever you need to say to me in whatever context you know or in whatever manner you know because you know they you know she on the outside it might be like ha I'm joke burn but it's like everything that she has to say I know I can learn something from it you know she might have only had a third grade education but you know she's one of the wisest um, women I know as far as like taking what you have and taking what you have being obedient to faith and knowing that God's going to provide for whatever it is you had to do you know we grew up it was a little tough sometimes but we never lacked you know I I can never remember a time where there was no food to eat and I know that's not everybody's reality you know there's people out there struggling very much um, and don't know where their next meal is going to come from but you know she we never had experienced that because of the work that she did and sacrifices without a doubt sacrifices that she made um, but you know I, I know that it wasn't easy for her and you know she didn't speak the language and she didn't have an education but somehow I have fond memories of the things I had when I was a kid you know I, I wasn't a rich kid by any means but you know, I was provided for. I always had clothes. I, you know, always had food. I was always able to go to all the youth retreats that were happening in our church circles. And, you know, I was, we were able to, you know, do things that are like super fun memories now. And she did all that with a third grade education. So, 
it says a lot for like it just says a lot for like someone that has a good work ethic and, and just is not afraid to put in hard work to get ahead it's definitely a different breed of people I mean generationally it's not like it's that far removed but I mean it makes a lot of sense but that is something that's almost like lost in our culture it's not seen where it's like a family of 11 kids you know the the oldest and the youngest are 20 years apart so it's like like you said like the oldest could be the dad or the mom yeah and and it's just interesting because even in like like the Mexican culture or you know Latin American culture the oldest sibling at some point becomes the tia abuela or becomes the tio abuelo where it's like he's your uncle but it's almost like he's your grandpa because <laughs> of the age gap or because of like you said the reverence or the role that they had to take at a certain point in the family's life where you know they were in their 20s you know when when their the, the father passed away and the youngest siblings were you know five and and six or whatever so it was always like that that constant um the constant look constantly looking out for somebody or constantly having to you know fend for somebody else is always you know it's always present it's always a part of the family i think that's something that's it's unfamiliar you know mm-hmm. nowadays definitely unfamiliar like one memory i have of growing up is that uh you know you know even in our time growing up as punk kids in the <laughs> 80s uh my my dad and my mom still like practiced a hierarchy you know it's like we were we have to you know respond to them but also you know my older brother had authority over me oh and and if i didn't listen to him i had to give account of why didn't i listen to my older brother you know, your your older brother told you to do something why didn't you do it it's like oh man and that you know nowadays that's something that's it's like out the window out the window you know someone could look at that and be like that's extremist behavior but it's like it taught you respect at a young age you know responsibility responsibility yeah. you know especially if you're an older sibling you you were responsible for your younger siblings because you literally had the right to direct them you know in the way that you saw fit that was going to be for the benefit of your family so it's like Wow, now I think about that nowadays. And I mean, my mom didn't really carry that on after my dad left. I think that was more of his upbringing. Um, she didn't really like instill that anymore in us. But I remember like having to give account to my dad of why didn't I listen to my older brother when he told me to do something. And That's it's interesting because like that. To me, it sounds like you're what you're doing is you're you're developing your kids to like be leaders in in like first and foremost in the household, like in your family. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you're developing accountability with your kids. You know, and it's like you see, like we're talking about, you don't see that in today's culture, like that accountability, that that sort of leadership where there's a hierarchy of parents to older siblings, and it's it's interesting if we if we were to bring that back bring in quotes bring that back because yeah especially when it comes like the broken families dynamics like that plays a factor in these different um settings but it's interesting yeah because that uh like you're saying that develops you into 
okay, what is parenthood going to be like? What's marriage going to be like? Having to, you know, be responsible and give account. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, that's that's true. That's pretty cool. That's why. That's why in those times, and then like historically throughout like agrarian societies, people at a much younger age took on responsibilities that people nowadays don't don't take on, like. 14, 15, 16, 17 year old now are seen as adolescents or even kids. Oh, he's a kid. He can't do we're, that. We're like responsible for households. We're responsible for they run the acres ra- of land. They run the ranch run, when dad's running, not yeah, right. dad's not in town. So, <laughs> And so it's like, man, and, and those things prepare you for that, you know? Prepare you for that type of responsibility to be young and and mature and confident enough to know that you can do XYZ you know and I think I think that's one of the things that like I feel makes me different from like other people that are like similar to my age or you know some some even a bit younger where that that's something that got lost like really fast in that time mm. like I still remember you know, growing up in the early '80s in Mexico, and and that being common, like, you know, a kid saying, "I gotta stop playing marbles because my older brother told me to go do this, this, this," you know, whatever. And you know, so that wasn't something that was just happening in my family. That was something that was happening in families of all my friends around me at that time. And you know, when I came to the U.S. in '84. Um, at six years old, I didn't see that over here anymore. You know, so it's like somewhere along that line, things like that shifts, and I think it's true for every single generation. You know, somewhere along the line, something shifts, and the new generation stops doing it the way that the old generation did it, and something is lost. Then another generation happens, and something is lost. Um, yeah, and you see that a lot in scripture, where it's like one generation. They were like fully worshiping God, and the next generation, nobody even knew who Joseph was, or nobody remembered Moses, or nobody, you know, things things like that. Like, they're very lost in in one generation if you're not diligent about like really yeah. keeping them. That's exactly what Gabriel and I were talking about a few days ago about what happened with uh like we see the memes right of of boomers versus the millennials like you're saying like it's only one generation maybe like half a generation removed those are the the parents and the children but we we definitely see the the gap where it's like they're divided on practically like everything you know everything that we see in culture and, and politics and what have you it's just interesting how like you're saying like it's just one generation. Like, it shouldn't be that big of a gap, you know? But it's just that, like you're saying, if there was a shift in, in the family the family dynamics or foundationally, where the hierarchy's gone. So it's, well, now it's like, you don't have to respect your siblings and you don't have to respect your parents because now, you know, right? Like, Generation X was like, no, we're against, you know, authority, we're against our parents. And then now it's like, no, we're against everybody. <laughs> There's no like reverence for anything anymore. You know, it's just it's the right. It's the me generation. Or yeah, it's like I can remember, I can remember a time like 
with a very arrogant mind thinking that I was smarter than my mom because I knew how to do long division and she she had no concept of what long division was. And me thinking, you know, I've 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 surpassed my mom. Oh my gosh. I am now better than my mom. And but like now I don't use long division in my regular day lives, but <laughs> you know things that she taught me like having a good work ethic and and working even though you're not getting credit or recognition or you know respecting people without them earning it you know these are all things that she instilled you know through example in in me and it turns out that those are the things that are making me a successful person now mm. not my knowledge of long division <laughs> You know, it's like, long division, who cares? As the kid taps into the calculator, who cares if you know how to do long division? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, along the line, you know, as knowledge increases and people rely on that knowledge, they look down on, like, wisdom that has happened in our bodies through thousands, that wisdom that has been gained through thousands of years of human interaction. And it's looked down upon because knowledge is increasing in technology and whatnot. And, but all that knowledge doesn't teach you how to be a respectful person, doesn't teach you how to interact with other people, doesn't teach you how to be a hard worker, yeah. you know, doesn't, doesn't teach you humility, things that are going to be necessary if you want to be a successful person and interact with other people and have those other people like you, you know? Mm. That's to it. be a likable individual. So it's like now hindsight being twenty twenty, it's like, man, she 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 knew more than she even realized. You know? She wasn't aware of that that wisdom she had, huh? And a lot of and a lot of times for like people that don't have that didn't have opportunities for education, it it, it becomes like, you know, a chip on their shoulder like something for them to feel bad about but you know a lot of a lot of people that didn't have education opportunities and had these types of upbringing you see them still being successful and being able to successfully have a family like excuse me like my mom raising me and my older brother you know two young young punk bad kids that were mischievous. It's almost like, yeah, her preparation for that, like you said, was being the older sibling, like having to look after for her siblings, having to look out for the household. So you guys were a piece of cake compared to <laughs> compared to that, you know. It's it's like you know now nowadays it's like yeah, definitely everything everything she went through in earlier life was preparation for having the responsibility of being Jacob's mom <laughs> and knowing that, you know... Getting his mullet haircuts. <laughs> Jacob getting mullet haircuts and getting into trouble and doing dumb things and really, really dumb things, like growing up and just being a dumb kid that thought he was very smart and, you know, thought he was going to do whatever he wanted to do. And, you know, it's like... Going going through life and realizing like nope, <laughs> you were totally wrong. But it's you know it's it's a 
beautiful it's a beautiful place to be you know where now you're having hindsight on all those things and and even though they might have seemed like torture while you were going through them it's like okay um they they weren't as significant as you know I thought they were gonna be Hmm. it's like this whole thing they told you growing up in school this is gonna go on your permanent record Turns out your permanent record doesn't really matter much. It's not. It's not that permanent. From third grade. Yeah. It's that. You know, it's it's like that. It's like you think this is what it's gonna take in order for me to be a successful person, and oh no, it wasn't that. It was this thing that I looked down upon my whole life that was kind of a nuisance to my existence. Turns out that that was the building block for me to be a successful person. Or to be someone who could interact and relate with other people. It's pretty amazing. It's counterintuitive. Right? It seems like most things that are the right way to go about it is like counterintuitive. You wouldn't think to do it that way, but it turns out that's the right way. Because it's not necessarily the easier way. Right, yeah. It's not necessarily the path of least resistance. It's it's work, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's work and... No... It's like I can't even imagine the amount of work that my mom had to put in to, like, raise me and my brother, you know? And, you know, we're all um, I just turned 42 last month, and my brother just turned 44. And, and you know, we're two older dudes now that are looking at younger generations now, probably the same way as people looked at us when we were young punks. Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, appreciate you coming out, man. Thanks for joining us at the crossroads. Yeah, I know. I'm glad to be here. You know, anytime you guys anytime you guys want to do this or have me on, I'm glad to be part of this adventure with you guys. Bring on some more of that wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> we we got we, we gotta talk a little bit more about that. Maybe we'll we'll have to have your mom come on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> she she would immediately have something to say about everybody in the room and the size of these microphones that we're talking into. Man, why do we have facial hair? <laughs> <laughs> why isn't everybody's shirt tucked in? Why are you people with your wives? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe not. We'll figure that out later. <laughs> maybe she could call and do a phone interview. Yeah, yeah, we'll do a phone interview on that one. <laughs> Good stuff. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. Thank you for being it was here fun. with us. It was, it was a joy. I know uh, last time uh, we were talking a little bit about the sad stuff at the beginning with the Kobe thing. So that kind of, uh, that was a little rough. Did you guys see the the memorial today or the celebration? I tried to, but no, I couldn't. It was, it was too, too emotional, yeah. As was, much as I could watch without being made fun of. Hey, that's coworkers. crazy, right? The first time we recorded, it was Kobe's death. And then now, yeah. And now it's what, trip outy, trip out. Everything anyway, happens. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason, eh? Disney cholos, all right. Uh, <laughs> Disney foods. Disney foods. Oh yeah, thank you, thank you, appreciate it, and um, definitely best of luck with the surgery and good stuff. Keep you guys in the loop. All right. Well, right. we'll see you guys next time then. Good night. Good night. You are listening to Gabriel and Lee at the Crossroads. 